Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Welcome to the Once Bitten podcast and a warm welcome from Bedford. That is correct. You have not tuned in to the wrong Bitcoin podcast. This is the Once Bitten show and I am in Bedford for the first game of the season tomorrow to go and support Real Bedford and meet a bunch of plebs that are making the pilgrimage. So uh, well done, Pete. Looking forward to meeting everybody tomorrow. If you are going to be around, come say hello. I'm going to try and drop this the night before. So anyway, let's get on with the introduction of this show. We've got Corey Clipston on from Swan Bitcoin and stick around right to the very end because his orange pill answer, if you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who'd you give it to and why, is very, very topical. Classic Corey, calling, uh, calling out how it is. Uh, a very um, shrewd young man, shall we say the least. And we do talk about calling out scammers as well. So, enjoy the show. Before we do get into it, do please remember that Swan Bitcoin are a sponsor of the show. You can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten to get yourself a free 10 bucks when you start stacking with Swan. You can start using Swan Private as well. That's their global service if you're going to spend up to $100,000 a year uh, investing into Bitcoin. You can also use coincorner.com forward slash social forward slash bitten. That'll get you a free 10 pounds if you start stacking away with Coin Corner. They're based in the UK and doing great work with the Lightning Network and the Bolt Cards. Huge announcement from those guys this weekend as well. Oxford City. They are sponsoring Oxford City in the UK. Big football team. And they are now accepting Bitcoin for all of their merch and across their stores and even for tickets. You cannot stop this, guys. It's going on this side of the pond. You can also use relay.ch forward slash bits and that is a stacking app. They are the swan of Europe. Julian was the guest just before Corey. So you can go back and listen to that very easily. Bitcoinreserve.com forward slash bitten also have you covered a very much similar service as well. But you can also smash by up to a thousand pounds a day on your card and you get a white glove service if you're looking to invest 50,000 or more. All of this said, you need to take control of your coins. I am pleading you to do this. So are all of the other guys that I just mentioned. They want you to take control. You can use any hardware wallet you want. Do your own research. But I recommend, as do other podcasters as well, the Shift Crypto Bitbox O2 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet. It's full of great features. I've had Douglas on the show, Douglas Backham. Go back and listen. Like I said, it's important you do your own research, but if you use the code Bitten, you'll get a 5% discount on that particular wallet. Are you going to any of these conferences? You should be. Get to Riga coming up, the Bitcoin Honey Badger Conference. Get across to Liberty in our lifetime. That's coming up 23rd, uh, 21st to 23rd of October in Prague. We also have the Bitcoin Conference coming to Europe. It's going to be in Amsterdam. Hit the links in the show notes. 
there will be more to talk about this at the end of the show. Enjoy this rip with Corey. All right, Corey, good to see you, brother. Hey, Daniel, good to see you too, man. Well, as you know, mate, Lauren is usually here to ask the first question, but uh, yeah, we are separated at the moment. Uh, So I will have to think of one. And actually, I've got one. She wanted to know if there was a role for her there, because I remember you texted me a a while back. (laughs) Lauren would be interested in working for Swan Bitcoin. And um, yeah, I don't know. We we kind of went off the trail on that one. So yeah, she she wants to know when uh, she can start. Yeah, uh, she can start uh, next week, right? This is this is Monday. Let me uh, let me line a few things up. I'm not kidding. Yeah, I mean, if she wants to actually get get feet wet doing some writing and things like that, you know, we we hired Spencer Schiff for a few months. The least we can do is is hire Lauren Prince for a little while. <laughs> yeah, what kind of role are you? Oh, yeah, we can treat it like treat it like a summer internship. Well, we've got so much going on getting ready for the Pacific Bitcoin conference, so that could be really fun. We could, you know, come up with some some promo videos to shoot that you and she could work on or something. Working with you know Brecky and Kristen and John and Mike and the team, do something fun there. Um, we've got the Swan app coming out, so we could do some fun things. You know, showing how it's it's so easy that. Uh, you know, a kid can teach your dad how to use it, things like that. Uh, there's a, a lot of stuff on the marketing side, maybe the content side, doing like, you know, kids ask questions kind of things to so kind of maybe do like a swan version of what you've been doing at the beginning of your show for the last few years. I don't know. That's just off the top of my head. But uh, no, seriously, if she's if she's game and she she wants to pursue it, um, we would definitely do it. We would definitely uh, kick her some sats uh, as long as we make sure that she's hodling. That's amazing. That is amazing. And you've, all right, you've given me two talking points right off the bat here. So Pacific Bitcoin Conference, let's, let's fill the plebs in what's going on, what's being organized and yeah, give us the lowdown. Absolutely. So yeah, the first uh, Pacific Bitcoin Conference, it's uh, Santa Monica, California, November 10th and 11th. And this will be the, the biggest ever Bitcoin conference on the West coast, which is pretty cool. So got to shoot for something. A lot of folks from uh, Asia and Latam coming up as well. Should be great. And uh, it's a super cool venue. It's um, the Barker Hangar at the Santa Monica Airport for, uh, you know, like 40-foot ceilings and huge space. And we can do tons of really cool activations and audio-visual stuff. So it'll be great. It's going to be a really just a, a celebration of Bitcoin and Bitcoiners. And uh, we're just really looking forward to throwing that down uh, every fall in Los Angeles. We'll be there the whole week. So the whole Swan team globally, whatever we are, 65, 68 people or whatever, will be there from like the 5th through the 13th. So uh, we're encouraging Bitcoiners from around the world to come in, uh, you know, at least like Sunday, the 6th through Saturday, the 12th. There's a ton of side events and, you know, outings, whether it's surfing, hiking, there's a pool party, there's dinners being planned, uh, beef steaks, stuff like that. Um, so you can kind of come in town all week long and, and enjoy that SoCal weather uh, when it's winter in most other places around the world. Mate, that sounds amazing. Okay, so are you? is it going to be just like a bunch of Bitcoiners hanging out partying? Or are they going to be speakers? Are they going to be... Um, oh, tons of, tons of speakers, speakers, panels, guests, bunch of professional media, a bunch of celebrities. It is Los Angeles. There are there are downsides to being in uh, California, but there are upsides as well. And our location uh, makes it very easy to uh, attract a very uh, high quality crowd. So I think that'll be pretty cool. 
And uh, yeah, so check it out. Speakers are already listed. Tickets are on sale. Uh, they're the cheapest they will ever be right now at PacificBitcoin.com. Uh, definitely go and grab that. Do we already have a, uh, a code for you? Uh, no. If we don't, we should set that up. Okay, let's follow up and make sure that we get you that because, yeah, you could definitely be an affiliate in, uh, and, and start saying Princey or whatever you want for, uh, yeah. for promoting the, the conference. We'll get that done. Yeah, it's got to be bitten, surely. Uh, bitten, yeah, of course. Done. Absolutely. Right. Okay, yeah. Well, and, that. Well, that, w- that would get the plebs a certain discount on, on the on the. Absolutely. Ticket. Okay. Yep. Yeah, we'll definitely set that up. Um, yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, it's always good to try and get some discounts out to the uh, the plebs that are listening. Uh, you said that you're up to about 68 people, and that, that's, that's pretty mind-blowing, mate. Uh, I've got to say, it, it's been incredible watching how you guys have grown the team and having spoken to you right at the very beginning, you and Jan were, I don't know, the, the, two of the first 10 guests, I think, to come on the show back in either March, April, or May of 2020, when you were just launching. So kudos to what you guys have done. It's incredible. Uh, you should be very proud. Uh, I think I speak on behalf of the whole community of you know the, the ethos that you carry uh, throughout the whole community, being Bitcoin only and a real focus on education and just trying to get as many people hodling Bitcoin as possible. It's, it's no mean feat. You've done an amazing job and uh, very well done. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, I mean, the the goal really is just to further the cause of Bitcoin, and we figure that will spill over somehow for us. I think I, I memed out a couple of weeks ago a picture of uh, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen with, you know, Jordan's head replaced with the Bitcoin logo and Pippen's head replaced with the Swan logo. And uh, that's exactly how I feel, man. Like, you, you're, you're on the championship team. Like, just know your role, play your role, and you get to collect a bunch of championship rings and you don't need all the glory, you know? <laughs> glory be to Bitcoin and uh, and just do what you can to support it. And, you know, if, uh, I mean, I'm sure at this point we've probably been, you know, partially responsible for 500,000 or a million people or something like that, you know, getting into Bitcoin or furthering their, their love for Bitcoin or getting deeper into it or whatever. Um, and if we capture some of those people as customers, which, you know, we have not anywhere close to the total number, that's, that's kind of not really the point. You're doing things for the community, earning the trust of the community, earning the love of the community, and in the end, earning the recommendation of the community, at least some of the time to some of the people that they know. And uh, I think that's a great formula for success. So you, you also dangled the carrot of this Swan app. What's, uh, what's going on? Give us the story. Yeah, I mean, we've had, we've had the, we've had swan.com has been mobile optimized since the beginning. So it's always worked well on a phone, but there's a big leap when you can just, you know, sign up in a couple of seconds, you can log in with your face, all the amazingly easy, snappy, cool things you can do with notifications. I mean, things are just better when it's actually a native app on a, on an iPhone and an Android. So I think it's, it's long overdue and we just really wanted to make it good. I think people have a high expectation for product coming out of Swan and we had basically the thing done and could have launched an app back in April or May, um, actually right around the time of the conference, but we just decided to make it just really, really feel top notch kind of, you know, 2023 vibes for a, a FinTech Bitcoin app 
and that's what we're launching here in the next you know month or two. So excited for that. And is that going to be just U.S. customers only, or you... no? It's global. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's global. Yeah, it's it's not only global. In about six months, we will be launching a uh, self custody Lightning wallet in the Swan app that does not require you to KYC to use it. So it'll be just uh, you'll start to see a lot of interesting things coming into the Swan app over time. Um, will become much more and more of a Bitcoin hub for people around the world over the coming years. Mate, that's very cool. So if you're if you got the DCA set up with Swan, obviously I know you guys push uh, the the idea of self custodying your your Bitcoin very um, yep. you know, prevalently. Uh, you, you know you're you're big believers in that, but I guess there's with with, with this Lightning aspect, you'll be able to save some of it. You, you know, don't self-custody all of it, but just put some of it into the uh, the self-custody Lightning wallet so you can go around and use that for your day-to-day -day coffees and, you know, interacting with the uh, the Lightning network. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, we've got some really strong engineering talent. I think a lot of people know Pablo Fernandez, Pablo F7Z on Twitter, um, who kind of knows everybody in the Bitcoin space that's building and kind of travels around the world and hangs out with people and does hacking projects and all kinds of stuff. So he's kind of platform lead and he's been early on, on all things lightning at Swan. And then we were lucky enough to pick up uh, lightning labs, former VP of engineering, Ben DeWall, a uh, great European Bitcoiner. So he's our VP of engineering now working with Jan. And then uh, most recently picked up a guy named Tancred Haas, who's very, uh, well known in the in the lightning space also was former a senior engineer over at lightning labs and now he's full-time on the swan team as well so that's kind of the hit squad um along with a few other people that are a little less known but uh also very good that are uh moving moving the ball forward on the lightning side for swan can, can we then confirm the bear market corey because all i hear is I, I i hate to say it i talk to founders every day but people are building all the like it's it, there's crazy amounts of activity going on right now. Oh yeah, I mean there there was a lot of capital that flowed into the uh, the Bitcoin only space over the last couple of years. So a lot of companies got started, a lot of companies picked up you know new rounds of funding, um, and a lot of entrepreneurs got interested. The 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 wave of education and evangelism from 2018, 19, 2020, all the people that came in and got drawn in, a lot of those people were capable of funding companies, capable of building companies. And I think that's what you're seeing now in 2022, 2023, is uh, all that money and all that talent going to work and building. And it's really exciting. It's just a shame as, I mean, this is a perfect segue into what we wanted to discuss um, about venture capital and like uh, some of the pump and dump and clear scams that we see out there. Just a shame that a lot of that capital is getting misallocated. And I think it'd be, uh, you, you are the perfect person. Uh, you've become very well known within the space for, for calling these, uh, these scams out uh, very publicly and standing by your word and explaining why they're scams. But should we... Um, let's let's lean on the tweet that you put out uh, earlier today about how this is being done through venture capitalists and take it step by step so that people can truly understand 
what is going on at each process of uh, of these venture capitalists, uh, you know, trying to fund these other, shall we say, in air quotes, projects? Hmm. Yeah, so I think you're referring to something I, I put out specifically about uh, crypto asset managers and kind of how they how they work with yeah. the crypto, the centralized crypto teams and the, in the early stage VCs. Basically, my point is, this is something I became aware of probably about six weeks ago. Um, I had lunch with uh, someone who's a senior member of an asset manager in the crypto space who does not do this. And he wanted me to be aware that some of his competitors do do this. And I, I dug around a little bit and you know was able to confirm that it's true and found out some specifics. And so what I tweeted out this morning, Istanbul time, which is where I am today, um, lots of crypto asset managers are actually just brokers of shitcoin team tokens. So step one is crypto founders and VCs deposit free or cheap coins with a fund. Step two, that fund, so this is like a single token fund usually, but it can also be like an altcoin fund that most of the... Uh, most of the coins are actually coming from these crypto founders and early stage VCs in the crypto space. So the fund markets, it's super fast and large AUM growth, meaning assets under management. So they say like, hey, all these people are throwing money at us. Oh my gosh, we got from like zero to 300 million in a couple of months. But actually, like in one instance, one of these single token funds, allegedly 99% of the 300 million uh, that they gathered in the first couple of months all came from one of the token teams and then so step three is that fund then dumps on dumb institutional so like the dumb funds and retail and gets them to buy this single token fund pretending like it's this thing that it has a bunch of demand and then immediately the shitcoin founders and vcs will redeem their shares in that fund for dollars so they're cleaning their coins without having a sell on exchanges without you know like uh you know, one of the biggest abusers of this, which is legal, by the way, in crypto, because crypto is not considered securities, but is completely illegal in traditional finance. You can't do this stuff with securities. Um, but Cardano, uh, allegedly, a lot of Hoskinson's money is in at least one fund, maybe more. He's approached, he and the Cardano team have approached multiple funds to do this for him. Uh, and then for sure, the Ripple uh, founding team uh, and, and big holders of Ripple token uh, are cleaning their coins this way and uh, and doing it through the funds. Um, there's a bunch more as well, uh, but I'm, I'm optimistic that some journalists will actually do the work and dig through the filings and, and talk to some LPs of these funds and ask them if they knew what was going on and talk to some of the VCs and get them to stay on record. You know, yes, we did this or no, we didn't do this. Um, I'm not a journalist just something I'm kind of aware of and, and, and teasing out there and making sure the major outlets uh, are hunting this thing down. Ah, oh, man. So, like, so the people, for example, the XRP bag holders, they're going to these funds to sell them their <clears throat> XRP tokens whilst the funds market XRP to their institutional and investment uh, retail investors. They buy them for dollars, which then gets credited back to the guys that are dumping these uh, tokens onto the fund. Yeah, essentially that's what it is. I mean, it's basically instead of instead of paying an OTC desk 
to mm-hmm. sell the tokens directly. They're posting them with the fund and paying the one percent or paying the one and a half percent AUM fee uh, because it's uh, it's more obfuscated and doesn't look like them dumping and there's no rumors of them dumping. So, just the fact that nobody's aware of this and nobody talks about it, I think, is enough to tell you that they don't want you to know. What funds are doing this? Do you, do you have any idea or guesses? I do. I do. And I'm sharing. I, I think it's probably a little bit too far out over the skis to name the ones that I'm aware of publicly. Uh, but I'm sharing the names of the funds that I've been tipped off about with journalists so that they can go and confirm. Well, I hope they, uh, I hope they follow up, mate, because, um, yeah, that, that's... <laughs> They are. I wonder, Wall Street I Journal what... is following up. Wall Street Journal is following up. I'm talking to CNBC tonight. Um, yeah, there's, there's the crypto press will never follow up on it, but mm-hmm. uh, mainstream press will. Crypto press obviously requires these types of companies to fund their websites and pay for sponsorships at their conferences, so they can't actually break negative stories. But um, once the mainstream media gets on top of a story, then the crypto press can come in and do the stories too, and they usually know everything. And the kicker is here, I think, probably the cherry on the cake. What do you think they are buying with the dollars that they receive once they've dumped all their shit into the fund? Bitcoin. Of course. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, these guys, they're usually pretty, uh, you know, short time preference or high time preference. So you're going to see them buying yachts and houses and. You know, this is the Brian Armstrong, Zushu types. It's yachts and houses and private planes and things like that. Maybe some some Gucci warm-ups, stuff like that. It's amazing when you look at Richard Hart all, like, dressed up in Gucci. And you, you think, like, the people that are investing in that. It's like, guys, he's wearing your cash. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> that one is just, like, way too funny. Dang. I mean, it's so transparent. I mean, uh, it, uh, can't even, can't even like hate the dude that much because it's so obvious and so transparent. I don't like. I think he's just saying exactly what's going on all the time. And you know, I tweeted a probably a month ago, something like there are different levels of sophistication for different, you know, crypto scam targets. You know, like Ethereum is for people that think they're really brainy. And, you know, I don't know what Hoskinson is for. (laughs) Again, I think it's like kind of midwits in in Europe for the most part seem to be down with Cardano. I don't find anybody in the United States that actually holds that thing at all, ever. Um, I, you know, and then you get hacks and it's like, oh man, I don't even know people that buy this thing at all. It's been, uh, what I mean, freaking five years since the original ICO craze. And uh, since then we've had, um, yeah. And since then we've had what? DeFi, uh, NFT, boggles the mind as to what comes next, right? There'll, there'll be something. Yep. There'll be something new. What do you, how, how do you guys then approach that in house um, with regards to trying to, keep the people, the the customer base that you've got there uh, completely focused on Bitcoin because uh, you guys really do a great effort uh, on, you know, educating your 
customer base and and if other people can emulate what you've managed to do then it's probably a good little playbook there as far as like retaining people i don't think we face that issue yet we probably will as we get bigger like if we're 10 times bigger than we are today in a couple of years then i think we'll be catching a lot of people that aren't all that far down the rabbit hole and maybe haven't already evaluated crypto versus Bitcoin. I think most people that are in the swan are pretty Bitcoin only. And that's why we see really high retention rates and kind of a really sticky customer base. Uh, because I think that we're catching people that are already kind of mid funnel and have evaluated crypto, maybe gotten wrecked on crypto and then come over to Bitcoin or maybe had somebody guide them really strongly into Bitcoin only and, and created that strong thesis in their mind before they decided on who to partner with to accumulate Bitcoin. Uh, so I don't, I don't think that much about retaining them. I do think a lot about getting them in the door in the first place. Uh, so that's probably the, it's probably the main thing is making the case over and over again, the case for Bitcoin. And I know you're um, a big fan of macro. So what are you seeing out there when you look around um, the world, geopolitical events or, you know, just markets in general? Uh, what, who are you listening to at the moment, actually, um, on, for, for that kind of information? Where, where are you, uh, where's your go-to at the moment? Well, I was really focused on understanding what was going on with Russia and Ukraine and what the likely second order effects would be and how that would play out. And I, I needed to put that into kind of my mental map for my family, for my company, for, you know, just being able to speak semi-eloquently about things when I need to. And I feel like I, I feel like there hasn't been much new, there hasn't been much new to me over the past three or four months. Um, so I, I just haven't had to focus on it that much. There hasn't been something that's happened that's been like, oh, wow, that's so surprising. And that goes for anything related to the Fed, inflation, housing, bonds, stocks, emerging markets, like everything feels pretty much as expected for me anyway over the past few months. Um, as you've noted already, I think what was really dramatic was much closer to home. It was the crypto implosion, in particular, the implosion of the CFI lending model and seeing that kind of reverberate. So initially the, the Ponzi scheme that was Terra, Luna, Anchor, UST imploding in early May after a slow rolling debacle. Uh, and then that creating huge holes in the balance sheet of a bunch of centralized companies and seeing that play out and seeing how they're all lending to each other in different dark ways mm -hmm. and seeing who survives and who doesn't. Yeah, that was a very interesting one. Um, what do you, what, what's your take on the FTX BlockFi thing? <clears throat> well, I mean, BlockFi, even though their equity is now down, whatever, 96, 97%, I think the name has enough brand equity and enough positive vibes, and they did not hold their users' funds hostage and go bankrupt. So, you know, they made it through. So I think investors that come in and fund them at this stage have a reasonable expectation that 
they'll rejigger their offering and focus more on the card for a little bit, do whatever they need to do from a legal standpoint to still offer yields of some kind on some kind of crypto deposit accounts. And then uh, probably just get way, way tighter on lending standards and, and who their counterparties are and having more visibility into who those people's counterparties are, which is where a lot of this stuff fell apart. Um, there are already companies that do a much, much better job of knowing exactly where the risk is in their book and restricting who they lend to, to being single counterparties that don't actually lend out the back door. Uh, and so that's actually kind of, there's nothing different really about that than there is with margin lending on an exchange. That's pretty risk-free. You're just counting on the exchange to stay in business while you have your loan out. Um, if you lend to a single market maker and they're going and doing market making things, you're trusting that one counterparty, but they're not going and rehypothecating that and lending it out to who knows who. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's hard. It's not going to go away, uh, but it's going to get much tighter on standards. And then I think the regulations are going to come down in a big way and essentially regulate these guys as the banks that they actually are. So I think they'll they'll basically get get regulated into compliance with something that protects users significantly more. I think they'll all have to. Uh, it'll either have to be completely front and center that you are an unsecured creditor, which it turned out all these people were these these depositors thinking that they were signing up for high yield savings accounts were actually unsecured depositors lowest in the capital stack after almost everybody else gets their money back then maybe you have a shot at getting some of yours and instead like with banks you know really the social contract or what they think they're signing up for or what they ethically ought to be signing up for is you know they're a depositor and they should be paid out first way before equity holders or other lenders so hopefully that's the way that industry kind of shapes up. Um, it's certainly made companies like Swan shine by comparison, which has been amazing for business as we've just been flooded with new users over the last few months, partially because the media blitz around me forecasting the Luna collapse back in March and then forecasting huge problems with Celsius in May. And obviously they went under in June. So I think that, uh, that definitely helped our cause a ton. Yeah, it certainly did. All of a sudden, you're showing up on CNN, Squawkbox, CNBC. It was, it was amazing to see me. Yeah, it's been pretty wild. Uh, I definitely have been, um, you know, I wasn't used to doing that much press, that's for sure. Uh, we had to get a second um, PR agency just to handle my stuff um, because the first one was was overloaded and couldn't handle it. Well, keep spreading the message, mate, because um, we need we need your voice calling these scams out uh, for what they are. And how would it work then if Gensler and the SEC turn around and you know start um, regulating uh, as they're making noises about? Um, let, let's take FTX and Coinbase as an example. Would they have to delist some of the projects, coins, tokens, call them whatever you want? Um, because they are basically going to be breaking the law? 
Well, that's already come down because the SEC went after a Coinbase employee mm-hmm. for insider trading and straight out called eight of the tokens listed on Coinbase securities in the suit. Uh, it was noted by some legal eagles in the space that they chose eight tokens that were issued by companies as opposed to nonprofits. I think it's uh, it's a fraud charge with the Justice Department as opposed to an SEC thing if there's something wonky going on with the listing of a security by a nonprofit. You know, so that supposedly that's why that's why a lot of these token companies created nonprofits to issue the tokens in the first place and did it in Switzerland and things like that because it makes it uh, much more complicated and probably outside the jurisdiction of the SEC. But it's sounds like from my cursory review of Twitter the past week or so that it's essentially a slam dunk for any non-Bitcoin crypto that's issued by a centralized company, not a nonprofit. Uh, but that's obviously security passes the Howey test, et cetera. Mate. Oh, so anybody listening to this, sell that shit. Just like exchange it for Bitcoin straight away and get it off the exchanges where you have it. Right? I mean, can we be any clearer than that? <laughs> well, that's why we have the uh, the crypto rehab amnesty program, also known as uh, CRAP at Swan, <laughs> where if you DM me on Twitter with screenshots, I've gotten like, I've probably gotten 700 of these at this point. Um, I know it was over 600 last time I checked, but uh, yeah, the crypto rehab amnesty program. Uh, if you send screenshots of selling at least one Bitcoin's worth of altcoins for Bitcoin and then withdrawing your Bitcoin to self-custody from the exchange, we will give you a year of Swan private client services for free, which is a $3,000 annual value. So that's the, uh, that's the crap right there, crypto rehab amnesty program. <laughs> and uh, we'd love to have you at Swan. Uh, we feel like the magic formula is do something good for Bitcoin and Bitcoiners and Swan will do something nice for you. That's kind of, uh, the magic formula for all our marketing programs these days. Yeah, it's brilliant, mate. <clears throat> I, I would love, uh, I wonder if you'll, uh, <laughs> the reason, the reason I'm thinking about this is because I think, uh, probably that the first time you ever picked up on, on my show is because I had Raul Powell on from, from real vision way back in probably March, 2020. And, uh, I, I know you, uh, you were a big consumer of, um, uh, of the macro stuff that they were putting out at the time and probably earlier when, when Grant was there as well. And then, um, yeah. Uh, so I, that went sour and south pretty quickly, unfortunately. When they started going like full crypto cryptard, as uh, yeah, we we could we could, we could label it. So it'd be nice one day, perhaps if uh, Raul ever joins your crap program, that would be uh, that'd be a nice uh, way to, you know, close that circle. Oh man, that guy, what a salesman! Mm. So funny. I think uh, 
if Raul happens to hear this or somebody wants to quote this and put it on Twitter, I think the funniest thing about Raul is uh, Raul drops the names of a lot of people that would never mention his name. And I think that's probably the best way to sum him up. Mm. Very typical Wall Street sales guy. Um, you know, he's not a macro guy because a macro guy is somebody that actually runs money. Um, he was just the guy calling them all the time, trying to sell them whatever dog shit Goldman had on their shelves on a given day. And, you know, the, the way these desks work, a sales and trading desk at Goldman or Morgan or whatever, is, you know, you basically you go to the morning meeting after reading the journal all week and you read Barron's cover to cover on Sunday, uh, you know, in bed after sleeping off your martinis from the night before or whatever bottle service for the young kids and then you come in on monday morning and you pitch your ideas and whatever sounds the best makes the script and it doesn't matter if it's true it doesn't matter if it's truthy it's just is this going to get people on the phone and get them buying uh whatever else it is that you have to sell and so there's no sort of effort to find the truth like a journalist or effort to find the truth like a consultant or whatever it's really just straight up what story can I sell to get these people on the phone? And I think that's essentially what he keeps on steering into over and over again is he's just using his, you know, greasy salesman instinct to figure out what's getting people on the line, what's making them subscribe, what's making them show up and pay exorbitant amounts for tickets to quote unquote retreats or shell fests in Aspen or whatever it is he's doing. Um, so that's, that's the game. And yeah, it doesn't, he knows he's going to have a ton of turnover and as long as he keeps on pumping this stuff out, there will be always be fresh blood and uh, occasionally somebody will stick around long enough to give him a lot of money. Yeah. It's such a shame because when, when real vision started, those interviews were, uh, were incredible. Those, those first, like, uh, I don't know, probably a year to 18 months. Um, unbelievable. Uh, and then, yeah, it just um, it just completely fell away, which is a real shame. And you know, like, like I kind of asked you earlier, where do you go now for for your macro commentary? Like, uh, who are you tuning into, watching on YouTube, or listening mm. to? Because I mean, I find it, it it almost painful now to to listen to those interviews and those guys because of how Bitcoin has completely rewired my mind. Well, I don't have to go outside Swan anymore because we have so many freaking macro geniuses on staff, um, you know, between Stephen Lubka, who runs Swan Private, uh, Alex Danzik, who runs, uh, he's one of our Swan Private MDs, and he's like a 14-year institutional gold seller, and so he's all over macro. John Har came over after running portfolios and, you know, being sales and trading at Goldman for a dozen years. So he's also on the Swan private team. Andy Edstrom running Swan Advisor Services. Like that guy's absolute, absolutely amazing when it comes to macro and finance, investing, et cetera. So, you know, I just tune into our internal team meeting where we talk about macro on Tuesday mornings. And then every Friday we do uh, macro and investing spaces on Cafe Bitcoin. That's just the Swan team on Fridays uh, talking about all this stuff. And that's pretty much it. I mean, honestly, Cafe Bitcoin, because you've got people like Larry Lapard popping in and uh, Jeff Ross and, and all these people, Jeff Booth, will we'll, we'll be in there on any given morning. And, 
So I just kind of I get my macro news just by tuning into Twitter Spaces, essentially. Cafe Bitcoin in the mornings. Right, love it. You know, build build what you need, right, and uh, and get hold of the uh, the right people to come in and um, uh, you know teach you. I got to ask about Turkey. Exactly. You're you're in Turkey. Uh, what's the feel? Because you've come from the U.S. where there's inflation, um, but you're yep. now you know boots on the ground in Turkey where there's arguably hyperinflation. Um, can you give the plebs a little background of what's been going on there the last six to nine months and and what you've felt since you've been um, you know, in Istanbul. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, the most interesting thing has been so Turkish lira versus dollar. They typically move the prices up pretty much in lockstep with the exchange rate uh, versus the euro. So this is actually the first time that we felt uh, a big impact and been like, "Dang, stuff really is cheap," and it's actually because the dollar moved so much uh, versus the euro over the past year. You know, I'm used to the dollar being like, you know, a buck 20 or something like that. And I think it's, you know, at parity essentially now. So definitely feels a lot cheaper over here. Um, I first started coming to Turkey in 2010. That was my first year over here. And the lira was a 1.8 per dollar. And right now it is, uh, as, as I speak, it is 17.9. So it's uh, 10x in 12 years. Uh, with a lot of that coming over the last year, year and a half. I think we may even have been in single digits still when I was here last year. I think it was probably seven on its way to eight or six on its way to seven or something a year ago. So it's really accelerated. Um, it's sad. It causes a lot of dislocation. I mean, I can tell you a few things that I'm aware of that maybe aren't as obvious to people from the outside, but, you know, Governments tend to try to lessen the impact of a failing currency through policies. One of the ways that they usually try to do that is with rent control. And so essentially what happens is once you get an apartment and you rent it, uh, you just can't leave. You cannot leave the apartment because your rent will go up like 3x or 5x or more if you move into a new place because that's when you can get the reset. So what does this do? This now means that you cannot get a job far away from your house because you can't go move near the new job. So <laughs> you're basically stuck working somewhere near your house because you can never leave your house. Uh, then the other thing is if you can actually change a job because the companies are all struggling and trying not to give people raises. So really you can, you can double your salary anytime you can switch a job. So the key is being able to find a new job that's close to your current house. That's what, that's the magic right there is being able to double or triple your salary without having your, uh, your rent go up. And so these are the kinds of things that people are constantly balancing all the time that just adds tremendous friction to the employment market, to the housing market, to just letting prices settle where they're supposed to go and letting people do things that make the most sense for them and their families it just uh it just kind of the price signal is completely wrecked and the interplay of the failing currency or the faltering currency with government attempts to lessen those blows create all of these awful knock-on effects that just kind of just slows everything down and you're seeing this in mexico you're seeing this in argentina obviously continuing in venezuela 
you know, hyperinflation's over in Venezuela. It's only up 170% in the last 12 months, right? Hyperinflation's mm. completely over. What an awful situation. Brazil is going through uh, another big round of inflation. I mean, everybody's just downgrading what they're putting on the table in these countries around the world. Uh, you know, you do talk about macro and one thing, one thing that became real clear with the Russia Ukraine thing is just, you know, fertilizer being such a big deal uh, in one of the biggest exports from both of those countries. And it looks like a huge swath of the arable farmland around the world that use that typically has a second harvest. So they'll have kind of a spring harvest and a fall harvest won't have a fall harvest this year. And we just don't know. People aren't really talking about it. There's no incentive whatsoever for governments to talk about it or the media to talk about it because it's just so absolutely scary if anything close to an aggressive scenario or a bad scenario plays out. You know, if you have 25 or 50% of the world's farmland that usually has a, an October, November harvest and that doesn't come through, we could be looking at not an Arab spring, but you know, kind of a global spring. And I don't think that any of that is priced in. And so some of these exogenous things are things that I think about, and, you know, that we kind of prepare for as a company and as a family. And, you know, it's, uh, it's something that I just don't think everybody's just focused on the Fed and pretending that there's not a war on and pretending that there haven't just been these incredible disruptions to the inputs that run the global food economy alone, let alone all these other different supply chains that are getting messed up and inputs that just aren't going into industry and that will affect people. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's tough times and you know, we're, we're going to see what happens. But of course the, the, the headlines are going to be like, uh, the economy is going fine because tech stocks are back up. It's, it's so like, um, ridiculous that, uh, like mainstream media will just like pump this kind of stuff at people and um you know just gaslight everybody into thinking everything's just fine it's so freaking annoying when you can see through it the k-shaped recovery continues yes <laughs> yeah i mean it's all it's all one giant proof of stake system right now isn't it like mm -hmm. you gotta already have you gotta have money already working for you you better be in like the investing stage of your life or you're kind of screwed you better already have had you already need to have assets mm -hmm. to get ahead because the asset prices are just running away from people uh, yeah it's just a it's a really really tough situation yeah, and I, I look at the, the younger generation, um, you know, the Zoomers, and I feel, you know, especially bad for those that see Bitcoin already, understand it completely and see the future, but do not have that capital to deploy into, uh, you know, getting themselves some, the, the sats that they need to see themselves through this next 10 to 15 years and, and go prosper. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, I guess... I, there are some signs in the U.S. anyway, and in some other countries, there are good signs for the young people, which is boomers retiring. They've held on in the workforce 
longer than any generation ever. And because they were the largest generation ever, it's basically frozen tons of young people out of jobs for the last 10, 15 years that they otherwise would have been able to get. So, you know, millennials that may have had a really rough go of it, joining the workforce right before the global financial crisis and then having boomers not retire because they needed the money because they got wrecked right as the early cohort of boomers were trying to retire and they were like, ah, shit, I got to work another 10 years. And so the millennials never got those jobs. Um, they should have much better mid-careers and mostly speaking for the United States here because I'm pretty familiar with the numbers, but, uh, you know, they should, they should be doing just fine and have plenty of work uh, as, as the next 10, 15 years come. Um, so that's one good thing. Gen X doesn't really have much of a problem because it's, you know, they're taking over from the boomers and we're the smallest generation until the zoomers. So uh, plenty of, plenty of work for Gen X. There's just not many Gen Xers who actually really want to work. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know it's a sucker's game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we, we've seen through it. Um, we're, we're working in our own, in our own way though, Corey, you, you've, yes. you've built an incredible exactly. company. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, I work on trying to educate plebs as as you do. Boomer, boomer wise, I, I, how much are you allowed to share of this information? I don't know, but I'll just go ahead and ask it. What's the split in in Swan? Um, you know, boomers, Gen X, millennial, down to Zoomer. Uh, are the boomers actually, uh, you know, get getting this thing and putting some capital <laughs> into this as a safety net for the uh, the generations that are following them? We have no idea. We do not tie uh, personally identifiable information to uh, purchase records. Good we time. have like the most stringent privacy policy that we could possibly have while still actually running a business and making sure people can get their funds. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, I, I can just basically just say anecdotally, I mean, I don't know. I wonder where the I wonder where the median is. I actually feel like the median customer of Swan is fifty or more, hmm. which is interesting. I really would not be surprised if maybe high forties, but maybe maybe low fifties. I feel like I feel like fifty percent of Swan customers are over the age of like forty eight to fifty two. That's um, just a gut feel. That's that's kind of a gut feel. I mean, I just like, you know, seeing the chatter and kind of who comes in. It may be a little bit slanted by uh, Swan Private because I see a lot more of those conversations. And obviously those people buying hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars of Bitcoin are, are going to slant a little bit older because they've got that kind of capital. So maybe it does slant that way because I just see that more. Um but we'll see. I'm super interested to see who comes to uh, the conference. I mean, we know we've got a massive rabid fan base of people in their 20s and 30s all over Twitter and podcasts uh, that are coming to the conference. But, uh, you know, I'm curious to see which of our actual clients come out, you know, not just super fans who stack with us, but you know, people who are seriously accumulating a lot of Bitcoin. I'm wondering what they're going to look like. Are some of the ladies going to come out? Is it all going to be old <laughs> dudes? Like, I'm just, I'm really curious to see what happens, but uh, it'll be yeah. fun. 
Um, what about uh, international uh, customers? Um, do you, do you have so a, those, that I can share. Yeah, so that I can share. So uh, what I can say is that actually about 60% of the volume of Swan Private Client Services is non-U.S., so it's only about forty percent U.S. It's about sixty percent outside the U.S. Uh, so, given that one hundred percent of retail are just kind of Swan.com and, and the coming Swan app is U.S. only, pretty much, uh, and Swan Private is about half of the overall. Swan is about seventy percent U.S. overall and about thirty percent outside the U.S. Right, so uh, yeah, we should probably make that clear. I forgot to um, uh, kind of push that point home. Swan Private is open globally, but just yep. the Swan app is, you know, across the 50 states. Swan.com is the United States, and then swanprivate.com is global. And that's basically for people that plan to buy $100,000 or more of Bitcoin over the next 12 months. Then you can get assigned to a Swan managing director like a, like a Alex Stanzik or Stephen Lupka or John Har, Dante Cook, people like that, Ryan Flynn, Terrence Yang. Um, that's our six MDs that do that. And then, uh, and then the other thing for your U.S. listeners is we are launching Swan Advisor Services here in the next week or two. That's run by Andy Edstrom, and that's for uh, registered investment advisors and financial advisors to be able to work with Swan to put clients into Bitcoin um, when, you, when you manage their money. And then the last thing for the U.S., it's kind of a big announcement is we have the Swan IRA coming out in August as well. So uh, we've been doing it manually for the last few months and getting all the kinks out in the platform with the self-sign-up and the super easy rollovers and all of that is launching in a couple of weeks here. All right. That's 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 perfect information. So for for the global listeners then, $100,000 or more to be um, put into Bitcoin over the next 12 months, you've got to head to swanprivate.com, yeah? Yeah. Forward slash Bitten, would that work too? <laughs> For the Swan Private? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, usually what people do when they're introducing a Swan Private is they're, uh, they're really just handing people over directly with an introduction because you're talking right. about somebody that's you know pretty wealthy and and wants that personal touch. So you can just introduce people directly to me or anybody else, you know, at Swan. If, right. uh, so send them, send them to Swan private and then make an email introduction is probably the best way to go. Right. That's uh, yeah, that's good information for, for those people that are out there that are trying to help, um, you know, those people in their lives that might have that little bit of extra cash and you, you've got the white glove service going on, which is, um, which is good to know as well. Yeah. So the Swan advisory, this is cool. So now other financial advisors are going to be able to plug into Swan and offer their existing client base exposure to Bitcoin, if I'm understanding this correctly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think the, the RIA channel has tens of trillions of dollars worth of assets in it in the United States alone. And obviously you want to focus here at the beginning and sign up a bunch of RAs. I think we have about 20 that are starting with us at the very beginning, uh, about $200 billion of assets under management across those 20 RAs. And uh, yeah, just try to penetrate their, their books of business and their portfolios, give them tons of education, help them put 
Bitcoin tidbits in their newsletters, feature them in videos, get them on podcasts, make sure they're known as like the Bitcoin guy in their firm, that kind of thing. And, uh, and really just try to orange pill uh, a lot of people who, who use money managers in us and uh, financial advisors. So when you see FAs listening to this out there need to be getting hold of Andy, right? Yep. Yeah, Andy Edstrom or me. Okay. Man, that's a game changer. That's huge. Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, the only people that have done it so far are crypto, 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 right? So Gemini's been doing this for a couple of years and, you know, obviously giving people advice like 20% link and stuff like that. And it's just not a good mm-hmm. way to do it. Uh, on-ramp is like crypto, 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 uh, and just sits on top of Gemini anyway. You did have uh, Eaglebrook make a go of it for a year or two being Bitcoin only, but then they kind of broke down and couldn't handle it and added Ethereum, unfortunately. And I'm sure it'll be a slippery slope um, before they're doing who knows what else, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's really important that there's a really strong Bitcoin only voice in that channel uh, that works with the different RA associations and does the API connections with all the different software and TAMPS, they call it T-A-M-P. Um, just kind of like the back ends uh, that they run their platforms and their businesses on. And you got to make sure that there's a Bitcoin only, a loud Bitcoin only voice in the conversation. Yeah, you certainly do. And what's going on in Turkey? Are you going to be able to get to uh, to meet some plebs there? What, what, what's the scene like? Do you, do, are you, well, are you, is I was supposed to, man. Plug in? Yeah, so there, interestingly, there was like a Turkish... I think it was the big Istanbul blockchain conference was last week and uh sailor spoke. Uh, hmm. He spoke at it, but, but remotely by video, but he did like an hour um, got covered pretty heavily in the news. And there was a, a Turkish Bitcoin meetup, if you know, uh, Oh, what does he call himself? I forget it. I think he's 1971 bubble. Yeah, Stackmore. Of course. Stackmore. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's <laughs> guy. Great guy. I've met up with him over here in previous visits and so, yeah, I was all jazzed. I was going to go hang out with them for the meetup last Thursday, but me and the whole family got freaking COVID on the flight over. Uh, and we were still pretty wrecked last week. So uh, finally, I'm a little hoarse still and still coughing a little bit, but uh, definitely feel much better now, but I missed the meetup, unfortunately. So yeah, just hanging and working and uh, going to try to take some days off next week. We head down to the coast and do the beach thing. I think we leave on Sunday and I'll try to unplug a little bit next week uh, or at least keep it to like the night hours after the kids go to bed to, to my podcast late in the night like I am right now. Have you ever seen the guy on the uh, the bongos live? You know, the, uh, the, the the Bitcoin meme of all memes. Eva, ba, ba, He's Eva, Turkish, ba. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't. I don't know what city he's in. Is yeah, he in Istanbul I, I, or is he like Cappadocia or something? I'm not sure, but check with Stackmore. Uh, okay. When, when you guys do go and finally get to hang and, you, you know, put together a little Bitcoin meetup, maybe um, he can get invited down because he was def- he's definitely been at meetups before because they, they put the little video out and uh, yeah. everyone was tipping him uh, via a QR code underneath. And it was amazing. Just amazing. Uh, to, to see him actually live uh, was just incredible. That's great. I love that. 
we've got to talk about one more thing, mate, before I let you go. And I know it's getting a little bit late in, in your part of town there. Uh, Bitcoin or jobs? Yeah. Let's let's get um, let's start from the beginning, because uh, th there might not be that many people out there that know the Genesis story of, uh, of this project. So go ahead. Fill us in. Sure. So this was, I guess, probably spring last year. So spring of 2021, obviously the Bitcoin was pumping. We were about to hit that first peak of 63K or something like that. When was that? April or May last year. Everybody wanted a job in Bitcoin. Everybody was hitting me up and asking for a job. And I try never to say no. I always try to do something for people. And so I ended up just you know, posting resumes, essentially just kind of like bullet points from resumes, essentially doing candidate threads. And I was like, okay, this is now starting to take up like 10 to 20% of my time. I've got to figure out some way to scale this. And I was like, I started the Bitcoin or jobs telegram group and just started inviting people to it and said, let's crack this. Let's figure this out, <laughs> figure out some way to do this. And then amazingly, like probably three days after I started the telegram group, I randomly accepted something that I usually don't do, but it was just a, a VC that I liked. And he was just doing like a round table with some CEOs and, you know, probably some from his portfolio and some from outside his portfolio and, and just basically jumping into little zoom breakout sessions and doing quick one-on-ones. I think it was like, you know, six or eight in an hour or something. And one of the guys in there had a SaaS product that was basically stand up a job board really quickly and, you know, just pay him 30 bucks a month <laughs> as a SaaS uh, software as a service. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so easy. Let's just do this. And I think it was called nice board. And uh, so somebody in the group was totally game to take it on. I actually had two of them being built one that wanted to do it a different way. It was actually somebody from uh He's a pretty senior guy at Wix who loves Bitcoin. And so he was building one version of it. And then uh, a British Bitcoiner named uh, Nathan Dennis, who I think you've had on at this point, great guy, uh, started running with the nice board version of it. And Nathan was just one of these people that could design, he could write, he has a motor like nobody's business. I don't think he sleeps and he can code a little bit. And so he just kind of ran with it. And he's also really good with people. So he had no problem reaching out to people and just saying, what's up? And, you know, no fear of rejection whatsoever in this guy. And it just started to take off really quickly. And I was obviously promoting the hell out of it from the Swan handle and the Bitcoin Ventures handle and my own handle and just kind of like trying to juice the thing. And I was hitting all the CEOs that I know and all the companies I'm invested in, getting their job job postings and giving them to Nathan. And it just kind of started to take on a life of its own. And, you know, I owned it, obviously. And it was just something that I was doing outside of Swan. And then what happened is... Nathan was so damn good and like so obviously needed to be part of the Swan team. Like he's such a great talent that I was like, you know what, Nathan, we just, I think the only thing that we can possibly do here is uh, hire you and fold Bitcoiner jobs under Swan so that we can have better resourcing. And obviously we're going to outgrow Niceboard at some point and we'll have to code the thing. And we obviously have an engineering team and we can make it happen. So that's kind of where we are now. It's uh you know, it's the biggest job site in Bitcoin. We have more companies listing jobs just in Bitcoin than Pomp Crypto Jobs has across all of crypto, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, there's no revenue model for it. We're not charging people for listing, unlike the crypto job sites. Uh, it's Bitcoin only. And 
yeah, it's just, it's so feel good. Uh, Bitcoin magazine was so freaking amazing to give Bitcoiner jobs a, uh, a booth at the Bitcoin conference. It was like the jam. It was like at the back of the hall on the back wall where allegedly nobody would ever walk by. And it was just packed completely both days uh, from start to finish. And we hired a bunch of people from it. Tons of other companies did as well. Um, and it was like spilling over into the booths on the sides of us. And uh, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm thrilled with what's happened there. And now you're starting to see the same thing with Bitcoiner events, which is kind of the same thesis. It's just like, you know for us it's just like you just pay it forward you do great things for bitcoiners and it all comes back around one way or another you know we'll we're learning so much more about how the whole global events thing works and that will feed back in when we need to promote an event that we want to do we'll kind of know all the vendors and all the people and we'll have done nice things for them so they'll do nice things for us and when it comes to bitcoiner jobs it's like you know, you, you're pay, playing a home game. So obviously you have like a little bit of a leg up when it comes to hiring. People kind of know or starting to find out that Swan runs Bitcoin or jobs and then they take another look at Swan and, you know, maybe we get two looks instead of, uh, instead of like a breeze by and our jobs get looked at a little bit more or something like that. But it, it seems to all pay off. And these are things that need to exist out there in the ecosystem. Um, there needed to be a global events listing site bitcoinervents.com is that and there obviously needed to be a great resource on the job side a lot of people didn't realize um we've got over a thousand candidates that have posted profiles now but i i think that's a really important thing to do you can actually post an anonymous profile and more and more uh companies and hiring managers are actually searching the resume database now uh even without posting a job because a lot of times you need somebody that doesn't fit exactly what you're you know, you, there isn't like a job that you would post. You're just looking for good athletes, especially the smaller companies. They're looking for just Bitcoiners that kick ass and can do three or four different things for a few years before settling into a role or moving on. And that's fine too. We do this all the time. Like maybe half the roles we post, but probably half of them, we just hire somebody because they're awesome. And like, they just come in and figure out something to do. So mate, it's been so great to to watch it all play out. And every other day now it seems there's a either a new job uh a new company joining or, or somebody tweeting about the, the the new job that they're starting which they found yeah bitcoin a job and it's awesome. yeah and you're right nathan's been on the show he's uh yeah he's a he's a great guy and um clearly you you found the perfect person to uh to run that uh, and i remember actually having a chat with him about um okay the fiat way to recruit and, and how disgusting it is compared to the Bitcoin way to recruit and how it just turns like Bitcoin does turns it takes the existing model and just turns it completely upside down. So it serves everybody. Every there's always a win, win, win. And it's, um, it's just such a great way to, to do business and in a collaborative way um, with other companies as well. Right. It's oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's super cool. Like when we, we want to do something with another company or even when a company wants to connect with the third company, you know, they know we know those people because they see the jobs listed. So a lot of times it'll be, you know, like a lightning startup wants to connect with, you know, some lightning service provider that's been around a little bit longer. And it's like, it's Nathan or me or Jeremy making the introduction, you know, and then that just kind of is just one of those things that goes in the favor bank and, you know, it just, it comes back around. You just kind of, I think one of the 
magical things about making introductions is like whenever somebody is with that person that they were introduced to could be 10 years from now and those people are chilling in Costa Rica and like and your name or your company is going to come up in conversation or pop into their minds favorably and if they're thinking about something that could involve you in some way they're going to get in touch with you and they're going to like send a picture of of themselves to you because you introduced them and I think that's uh that's one of the reasons that we really, really like to facilitate the connections and the conversation uh, around Bitcoin and do it through product as much as possible, along with the content, of course, um, is because that's just such a, a proven way to succeed in life and in business is to is to always be thinking about what you can do to help other people. Absolutely. And, you know, your network is your net worth the old fiat saying goes mm -hmm. whereas our network is uh is bitcoin and uh i love it <laughs> that's what that's yeah, i mean I think you, you kind of boil it down to like i think of swan as a bitcoiner company like we we know bitcoin's going to be fine and yeah we obviously like not not contributing to core other than occasionally funding people or Mm -hmm. donating and stuff like that that are contributing to core but that's that's not what we're about but we do build for bitcoiners and we try to build things that are good for bitcoiners and help bitcoiners and we are all bitcoiners right there's like you can't get a job with swan unless you're able to list like six or seven podcasters and pronounce their names right and talk about your favorite episodes <laughs> so, so <laughs> that's basically the screening that's the um, interview process right okay it's it's if somebody makes it to me that's basically the interview yeah i just try to find out if they're full of shit or not um right. and it's it's really easy to find out like you either know how to pr pronounce stefan lavera or you don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure you know uh, and i try to find like you know are, are they down with like simply bitcoin and daniel prince or is it like they only know pomp and mccormick like i want to know like are you in this shit or not right exactly <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, you, you sparked something there. I was going to ask you a question. Something. Yeah, I what? That was it. Um, each kind of one of these cycles that we have, uh, somebody generally ends up on the scrap heap. Uh, and uh, well, over the last, what's it been? Six to eight weeks, I guess. Um, that, that kind of award has fallen to probably Nick um what what's your take on what went down there uh so nick is right that he's been doing like blockchain investment announcements for a long time i think uh what he maybe didn't realize was that the the world had changed quite a bit because crypto screwed everything up with luna sidling up to bitcoin and pretending to be pro bitcoin and obviously being a scam and then all of these cfi lending platforms like celsius and voyager just absolutely wrecking a ton of people um including a lot of people that were actually into bitcoin and just made the mistake of you know trusting somebody's recommendation who didn't know any better and put them on these platforms you know getting like bitcoin plus two percent or whatever and now they don't have bitcoin and it just is super sad and so it was just the absolute wrong time to hit Twitter with, with a blockchain investment announcement. 
you know, like I've been aware, obviously, of like the having one foot in both worlds for Castle Island for a long time. And, you know, we all just kind of gave Nick a pass because he writes eloquent, you know, student papers about Bitcoin, basically, in, in major outlets. And he's pretty eloquent on TV or whatever. And he's a nice enough guy. Um, but he's al always been doing the monetize on blockchain crypto type stuff all along. Um, so it was just, you know, unfortunate for him that he's young enough that he took it all personal and couldn't recognize the dynamic of what was going on. And 99.9% of the problems that he's experienced were his reaction, not even what he did initially. It was just not taking the hit and rolling with it. And, you know, just sitting there and like fighting back against so many people instead of just understanding where they were coming from. Anyway, I, that's really all I'm going to say about it. Um, I don't see... I don't see him coming back around. I don't, I think there's just, you know, I, I, I messaged with a, a crypto OG who's pretty under the radar, but has known him for a lot of years and, and they had spoken. And uh, basically the conversation that was relayed to me was uh, Nick picked up the phone and said, I fucked up, right? It's bad, isn't it? And he said, yeah, it is like, you got to stop. And Nick said, I can't, I'm pot committed. <laughs> <laughs> so he just decided to keep pushing it, dye his hair blonde and start going on bankless instead. Uh, and maybe keep growing the mustache and move to Miami. I don't know. So crypto bro, it is, I guess. Oh man. That's such a shame. <clears throat> yeah. What can you do? I, don't well, know. I mean, these, these, these people that are like kind of noisy on Twitter, like they get a lot of likes and stuff because it's all the crypto people liking them. You know, it's the, their handle kind of blows up and their tweets show up in the feed a lot because the algo likes it because all the crypto people are liking their stuff, hmm. but it's like two or three people and they just don't matter at all. I mean, all these people talking about trying to define Bitcoiners one way or another with their little weak theses and their high school debate tactics like they're really not worth putting on podcasts they're not worth talking about they're not going to be this topic of like what is or isn't a bitcoiner blah 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 like it belongs nowhere near what we're building and what we're discussing as bitcoiners it's just such a distraction it's why i blocked udi ages ago because it's just absolutely worthless to engage with this stuff just move on go on about your life and, and let these sad people that have fallen off of the path uh, just wither away. Can you do us UK plebs and perhaps, you know, the Euroland plebs a favor and, and just kind of uh, flesh out that, um, that little throwaway comment there, your, you know, high school debate uh, tactics, because that's not something we're ever taught here. Like, you know, there mm. is no debate class in our um, agendas. I won't call them curriculums. Uh, so sure. what, what, what are they doing? Well, they... most normal people don't usually take debate either, but it's, it's like an activity. So it's not usually a class. It's usually like an extracurricular activity mm -hmm. in high school or college or something like that, the debate team. And, uh, you know, you saw it in old school, I think, when uh, Will Ferrell uh, yes. basically blacked out and made a bunch of points in the debate and won the debate or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's it's basically that. I think it's uh, it's a lot of just trying to win points as opposed to actually caring about finding the truth. So when I slag on somebody for, you know, moving the goalposts or employing, you know, high school debate tactics, it's because I've been around people that are actually really good at 
debating and you know lawyers and things like that and this this move of like shifting goalposts or twisting what you're saying or whatever that uh some of these people that tend to for some reason uh end up in this sort of lapsed bitcoiner category they tend to argue basically the same way which is that they don't really have a leg to stand on on the overall argument and truth is not on their side so all they can do is sort of resort to ad hominem to victimization and to moving goalposts and kind of twisting the words disingenuously uh of the person that they're engaging with and i just think it's such an awful waste of time um anyway so that's that's basically what i see when it comes to people like udi and nick it's just uh a lot of disingenuous um discussion that really a serious person wouldn't engage with and so just have some self-respect if you're a serious person you consider yourself a serious person and don't engage separate yourself from people like that yeah it's it's very um it's very time consuming to sometimes you get caught up um in the uh you might make a tweet and then somebody gets into an argument in the thread beneath and that's all your notifications for like three days where you're just watching uh, these two guys go back at each other you're like ah oh, you, you just want to say to the, the you know the pleb like just mute and move on there is no reason yep. to have this conversation with this person like you say they do not have truth on their side and they're not willing to uh to even look at truth they're, they're just resting on some line that they've been taught at some point in some class in the past that you know maybe they've you know memorized some numbers or some data that they can just uh you know quickly throw back at you uh to try and win a little bit of one-upmanship it's yeah. it's painful but th this brings us to one of your latest tweets actually uh just a few days ago where um you call out vitalik um definitely one of my favorite quotes from uh, from vitalik uh, it will age incredibly well with much irony sprinkled on top. And what Vitalik said is brilliant. Over time, some judges of good and bad get exposed by reality to be complete fools. And then we can stop listening to them. Amazing. Yep. I know. <laughs> it's, just, it's truly amazing. Listen, uh, not everybody gets to write their own obituary. <laughs> He's. Uh, did you see him on that that clip of him on uh, Weinstein the other day on his pod? Did he do a recent one? I'm not Eric sure. Weinstein had him on, or is it old? They were sitting. It looked like they were sitting on a couple of like um, comfortable yeah. chairs in like the the like the corner office. Um, glazed windows or something. yeah what did he say oh he, he was basically talking about um he asked him whether he shorted s at the top and dumped on <laughs> yeah. retail and then no he, he, he didn't he didn't short it yeah I, just, I saw that yeah we know we know they sold a ton of ethereum in december of 2017 mm -hmm. and what do we think he used those dollars to buy I think he probably just left it in dollars to be honest. I mean it didn't it didn't it didn't go to him anyway. It went to uh Ethereum Foundation. Um yeah. obviously he controls what they spend it on, but still. Mate. Anyway, like you said, writing his own obituary. 
Corey, yeah. you had one last orange pill left to give to somebody. Who would you give it to and why? Hmm. That's a good one. <sighs> Who would be really interesting? I mean, shoot, I'm, I'm sitting here in a... I mean, I, first of all, there's plenty of great candidates, but uh, I mean, Turkey would be a pretty interesting one to like have. I just don't think it wouldn't work, though. It wouldn't work because like they literally the, the ruling party here, Erdogan and the AKP, like actually cannot stay in power without printing money to give to their friends. Like they will just be if the favors stop, it's over. Kind of like, you know a big political machine in a big American city or Pelosi. Like they got to keep trotting this lady out because <laughs> it's the entire power structure and everybody just wants to keep them going as long as possible or they lose their jobs and lose their grifts. Um, God, who would be interesting? I mean, imagine if like, Larry Fink had a complete about face and completely abandoned all of this like ESG grift mm -hmm. as the head of the largest asset manager in the world, uh, BlackRock, and just got totally fucking orange pilled. How much that would change things? I mean, it'd be pretty epic. I mean, how we're not discounting the fact that Fidelity completely refuses to even look at other cryptos, right? It's mm -hmm. just Bitcoin. And they reaffirmed that. Like, it's a big deal. Yep. Now, imagine if, like, BlackRock did that and how much bigger they are and how much more global they are and how much money they manage and just also how under the control of, like, one guy and his opinions are. I mean, he just got that thing in a vice grip still after all these years. Well, imagine if he got orange filled. I think that'd be pretty impactful. Dump everything, every book. Wind it down <laughs> into Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would work. Well, if you're listening, Larry, uh, swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten gets you free $10. So, you know, that's probably worth looking at. All right, mate. We should close this down because I know it's getting very late your end. So thank you so much for uh, giving up the time. And yeah. For supporting the show as well, mate. Uh, you know, you're, of you're one, of the, one of the early guys as well to to come out and uh, recognize um, the podcast and uh, show faith in in the work. And, and here we are over a few years later, still doing these interviews. It's great to... Um, we, we've still not met. This is what's just crazy. Uh, this is the closest we've ever been, you being in Europe now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well i'll be getting out a lot more i mean i think uh some people at this point are aware but i had uh i had a death in the family earlier this year and it was a kind of a long illness that was keeping me from being on the road much and obviously most people are aware of me in bitcoin from the past couple of years which overlaid that struggle pretty perfectly unfortunately so you know uh, obviously starting with the Pacific Bitcoin conference this fall, but I will be in Miami. I'm one of the, the first 10 announced speakers for the Bitcoin conference in Miami uh, next year. And I'll be trying to get to a lot more events in the coming years. So hope to see most of you guys in and gals in Los Angeles, but uh, I'll be much more accessible uh, going forward. So 
look forward to meeting you soon, Daniel. Yeah, you too, mate. Well, take care. Have uh, have a great holiday over there in Turkey, and uh, you know, enjoy the time with the family and chilling out, and you know, uh, hit the beach. Take uh, get some downtime. We need. You. I will. I we need will. You, we need you fit for nice the nice and fresh. Exactly. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, Daniel. Thanks. All right, brother. Take care. Bye. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Corey, thanks very much for coming on the show. Like I said at the beginning, stick around for that orange pill question because it's very timely. Today, the news hit that, uh, I'll bullet point it, BlackRock will begin offering Bitcoin trading and custody services. That's huge. That's massive. Um, you know, as, as Corey pointed out, uh, you're not going to stop these firms coming in and doing this. Uh, much to the chagrin, it might be of... Of, uh, of some of us that uh, would much rather see the plebs get access first. These guys do manage a lot of money for plebs, especially boomer plebs, people that would never have ever considered getting exposure to Bitcoin before. So as usual, all news is good for Bitcoin. However, it also states the asset manager is partnering with Coinbase and Coinbase Prime will action as custodian. Unlucky BlackRock, that's probably gonna end up getting you wrecked, but you are now in the rabbit hole and you will learn, most likely the hard way. Uh, let's go. Uh, meanwhile, everybody else, do your best to get your friends and family into Bitcoin as soon as you can. This is big news, you can use this news, this is headline news, this de-risks a lot of people's mindsets. So go for it, use it run with it huge thanks Corey, for everything you're doing thank you for building swan make sure you guys are stacking with swan if you're able to use swan private if you want to you can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten to get that free ten dollar kicker don't forget across europe relay offer very much the similar service julian was the guest before Corey on this podcast so go back one episode and you'll find that interview you can also use bitcoin reserve Nick Aravsky and the guys over there are doing a great job. That's Europe based as well, and UK can uh, customers can use that. Coin, uh, coincorner.com, almost said it. Coincorner.com, go stack with Danny and the guys, doing amazing, amazing work. Well done for onboarding Oxford City this weekend. Massive announcement. Big kudos to what you guys are doing. Get to the conferences. The Bitcoin conference is coming to Amsterdam. You can use the code BITTEN for a 10% discount. Get to b.tc and check out your tickets. Uh, all these links are in the show notes as well. So just hit up the show notes and hit the links and you'll be taken there. Use code BITTEN where needed. Uh, stack safely. Use the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only hardware edition wallet. Get yourself to Riga because Shift Crypto are going to be there and Douglas is going to be talking uh, a lot about um, the, the hardware wallets and uh, the um, areas in which we need to be paying attention. So make sure you get into these conferences. Don't forget, you've got Liberty in Our Lifetime and I know the music has just run out. Liberty in Our Lifetime in Prague, 21st to the 23rd of October. That is being run by the Free Cities Foundation. That's being put on by Titus Gable and Peter Young. Go grab your tickets. Use code PRINCY for a, check, uh, a discount at checkout there. And the um, uh, uh, BitcoinDay.io guys, they set up each month a meetup across different states in the US. You can yo use the code OB10 for a 10% discount for those guys. 
and I've got a shill as well, of course. The merch from Max and Mr. Crown. You've got to go and check it out. Ungovernable Misfits. Hit the link in the show notes. Use the code BITTEN. Support a pleb movement initiative and get yourself a discount. And you can do the same as well with Consensus Network, who are doing great work with their books. They are trying to transform, not just translate, transform as many Bitcoin or Bitcoin-related books into as many different languages as they can. So you've got no excuses now from your wider family or your friends that live abroad. If you know their native tongue and you want to orange pill them, head to Consensus Network, use that code or that uh, link in the um, show notes, you'll get 10% discount. And if you pay with Bitcoin, you get a further 10% discount. So go support the cause and go help orange pill some of your friends and family that are perhaps not native to the English language. With that, thank you again for listening to the show. Thanks for everything that you do. I look forward to meeting some of you plebs in any of these conferences or maybe at uh, the match tomorrow. Have a good one. Take care.